Welcome to Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality with a dash of recovery thrown in. If you've ever had questions about the jerk, maybe a bit jaded in your attitude toward religion, well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, but now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bash. How to Christmas. If I asked you to tell me about how you do Christmas, I bet you'd start telling me about family traditions, decorations, schedules for opening presents, typical attendance at church services, and stuff like that, right? Now you want to tell me about the lights you've put up in the midst of the pandemic and who can't travel to see whom. And we are so far afield, we can't see the baby through the pine needles. But before I send you on a guilt trip, which is just too easy to do, I want to ask a more thoughtful question. How should we do Christmas if we want it to have anything to do with the founder? In my not-so-humble opinion, anything we do regularly can get distorted by the familiarity which loves to breed contempt. Christmas comes around every year whether we like it or not. But why? Why is this something worth celebrating, or is it? When I was a new Christian, I went through what I jokingly refer to as the Jehovah Witness stage, questioning every tradition which is not explicitly commanded in the Bible. Just because something is a tradition doesn't make it good or right, right? If you've ever been willing to talk to a Jehovah Witness knocking on your door, they will explain why birthdays and holidays aren't worth celebrating. They may have a point. So why is the church determined for 2,000 years they're wrong and put the holy in holy day for the birth of Jesus? And we like and here, what can we do to put the holy into our Christmas? How can we learn more about the one we're celebrating? How can we teach our children and grandchildren in such a way that they don't fall prey to the consumerist secularists, the cynical communists, or the grasping pagans in the midst of their winter festivals and chilly solstices? To answer this question, we've asked back Dr. Perry Downs, a former professor of Christian education at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, the alma mater of your host. He's real, practical, a foster parent to over 30 blessed children, and just real enough to be worth listening to. Welcome back to Church Hurts and Dr. Perry Downs. Thank you, John. I really appreciate being here with you. Perry, you know, I like to jump into theory, but let's just, what's your favorite Christmas memory? Hmm. I have two, I think I, I would share with you. One is uh, just from my own childhood, and that is the, the wonderment of Christ Christmas morning, uh, because it was all about Santa and presents. You know, I remember getting up in the morning and seeing there's the tree and there's all these presents. And our family tradition was you could not open anything until the parents got up and then we had to have breakfast 
And then we'd come back in and have to sit and look at the tree and how beautiful it was, look at all the presents. And my father would just do that to drive us nuts. You know, mm -hmm. all we wanted to do was a double backflip into the presents under the tree. And we rotated around, took them one at a time. But it's just, it's really such joyful memories for me of my childhood. Now, and you then grew the, up in the Northeast, right? So you probably had snow and stuff like that during Christmas. Yeah, I grew up, grew up in Connecticut, so we would we'd have snow quite quite a bit, and so it was it was quite you know quite magical. Um, the other memory, though, I have is um, with the foster kids. Uh, we had twin boys that we got at two and a half years of age, and um, <clears throat> we were the ninth home they'd been in in two and a half years, so they had zero stability whatsoever. And uh, in fact, what we did when we got them. You know, we, we tried to figure out how in the world do we get control of these kids? And we decided on one rule. We had one rule in the family and that was it. And the rule was, which you'll never guess, was we don't bite each other uh, because they bit. <laughs> they wow. bit all the time. And so uh, my wife had a, um, a, 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 a hand puppet with big teeth and the puppet would bite her on the arm and then she'd shake her finger at the pup and say, no, 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 in this family, we don't bite. And that's, we'd hear them, you know, finally doing that to one another. No, 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 in this family, we don't bite. And so that's how, what, you know, we had to do to get control. Well, the first Christmas, they had never seen anything like it. Um, and uh, they came down Christmas morning and saw all these presents. And then we gave them their gifts. And the first gifts that they opened was, were rubber boots. They had never had boots. And it was winter time, and so we got them boots, and they went nuts over the boots, put them on over their pajamas, wanted to go outside and walk in the snow, and we couldn't get them back to to understand. You have more presents to open because that was beyond their comprehension. But to watch the wonder and the joy in those little guys, you know, it was it was amazing. And I'll tell you now that uh, they both have master's degrees. One's working on his PhD. Wow. Uh, yeah, and they came out of hellhole. Isn't it hard not to in, in with you know in a church context? And that's mm -hmm. what we deal with the church church and the whole church yeah. and the fact that oftentimes it hurts. And I think one of the things that potentially can hurt, particularly you you taught in a conservative seminary, and mm -hmm. there's the issue of those saying, you know, um Santa's iffy. I mean, Santa's getting in the way of the message of Christmas. Right. And that is really such a divide because there are people who hear that and just roll their eyes and say, you are really a freak. I mean, really to even ask that question, um, how did you deal with, with Santa in a Christian household when you're teaching other people how to teach about Jesus? <laughs> yeah, I, I can go on for a long time on this one, but I will just tell you that... Um, what we do is we really wrestled with that because there are people that said, if you teach your kids Santa's real, and then later on they find out he's not real, then they're going to think, well, Jesus isn't real either. Well, I, I think that's way too simplistic. I think kids are pretty good at sorting out make-believe from real. But what we did when our kids were little, we told them one time that we have a game that we play at Christmas time, and, and it's Santa. And we pretend that Santa Claus comes and brings presents and stuff. And, and it's a really fun game. And so that's what we did. You know, uh, we just, we, we pretended, but we, we never reinforced it after that. We just talked about, you got to get to bed because Santa's coming tonight. And they threw themselves into it and loved it. 
but knew in the background, you know, that it really wasn't true. But uh, as as my kids got older, um, I got we we developed a tradition where I got really I used to get grumpy about Santa coming because it made such a mess. There were all these stupid presents and all this wrapping paper, you know. So I'd try to talk Santa out of not coming. I talk Santa try to convince Santa not to come. So yeah. like it started with signs, I'd make up a sign, you know, no reindeer on the roof, you know, no presents <laughs> here. And meanwhile, the kids would make other signs, you know, Santa welcome, you know, and, and stuff like that. And it just escalated and escalated and escalated until finally um, one year we had, a, we had adopted our 30th foster child. So my kids were all, you know, we're, we're in graduate school when we adopted her. So they knew and, Santa uh, didn't exist by that point, for sure. They, they in grad, knew Santa didn't grad school, they, yeah, yeah, they had sorted that one out, yeah. But the, uh, I said finally, you know, I said, all right, I've had it with the Santa Claus stuff, and so I built an anti-aircraft gun to go on the roof of the house. True story, really true. Now the the gun, you know, was a box with a couple of PV, PVC pipes sticking out of it, you know, there were the barrels of the gun, and and Sarita was beside herself mom what are we gonna do and she said <laughs> she says Serena, you know dad's plans never work <laughs> and this I one just, isn't gonna work either i wonder about your neighbors there's a seminary professor out there on his room mm -hmm. with a <laughs> with a gun to shoot I down put, santa <laughs> yeah i put i put christmas lights on it too to you know just yeah because people came and gathered in the driver going what are you doing this time and so i was like, gonna shoot santa down but it was all playing the game you know, now, you know, there's the, the, the whole Christian priest that we'll talk about in a few minutes, but we, we played the game and had a ball with it. And I never fretted about that the kids, you know, their faith was going to be destroyed because we yeah. played Santa. You know, you know what happened to me? And this is the opposite of church hurts, but the church mm -hmm. taught me on this one. I came in as a young pastor and um, I was still in the kind of that mode, okay, you know, this is, we got to be serious, get our people really deal with Jesus at Christmas. And, and I'm like, you know, no Santa in church. Is that okay? Well, I happen to have a church that knew me well enough that they basically said no. <laughs> and oh. I had people that I let overrule me. Mm -hmm. And one of them was my music director who also, you know, you know, dealt with the whole service, not just the music, mm -hmm. but he said no. And, um, so one Christmas, and he said, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. And one Christmas, in the middle of Christmas Eve service, Santa comes in on a motorcycle into the service with the motorcycle going. Okay, so imagine this loud motorcycle coming into this room. And there's Santa Claus on it. And afterwards, I real and the joy, I mean, people just wouldn't quit talking about it. I mean, they'd go home and say, oh my God, Santa Claus showed up on a motorcycle in the middle of the uh, worship service. Real good. And and what he pointed out to me, and I had already gotten it, is no, we we make fun of Santa. That's a, it's the fun part. It's the it's silly, and then we switch in the service to a very holy time of of mm -hmm. remembering who Jesus was. And I thought that was so healthy, you know. Yeah, yeah. It sounds yeah, like you like guys that. did the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I will tell you when we get to it you know, how we also tried to make it holy. And, uh, yeah, well, well, tell me just from an education perspective, though, because I'm thinking of those, and I'm going to mention later, too, that, um, you know, I have a 
granddaughter who's one year old. You know, I'm starting to think in the developmental stages as kids grow up, what do they learn and, and what do they pick up? When it comes to Christmas, how do, how do kids learn, period? You know, what are the things people can do in a family that are really picked up by the little ones? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think music is, is especially important because uh, music teaches and, you know, familiar that, that they learn that um, at Christmas time, there's certain music that we listen to that we play and that we sing. And so my kids, I mean, this was, we weren't, it was for my wife, but, but uh, she loved Messiah. So they grew up, listened to Handel's Messiah, you know, every year at Christmas and they knew it was Christmas time and they started and they learned, you know, truth through, through uh, the Messiah. And that was really significant. And then at, at church, you know, they knew at Christmas time, we sang Christmas carols in church and that they were telling a story. And so we always would talk about that too, about why do we sing these, these songs at Christmas, you know, and it's because of the story that they're telling. And um, there's, there's great power in that. that that's one of the things. I mean, faith is much more caught than it is taught, I think, in, you know, in Christian life, in the, in the Christian family. And so if the kids are sensing a reality of faith in the parents that in the midst of the silliness and the Santa, there's also a reverence for what we're marking, you know, that we live, to quote C.S. Lewis, we live on a visited planet, you know, where where God became flesh and dwell among us, they, they pick that up, that, that we, we understand that's real. And if, if my faith is real, my kids' faith, I think generally will be real also. Isn't, isn't the sense that story is easier to remember and actually may teach better than propositions kind of just, you know, I mean, you can sit there and, speak theological doctrine all day long but even anybody listening to this show they're going to remember this goofball professor said he got on top of his roof and pretended to have a machine gun to shoot down santa right now i'm not sure what the lesson is from that (laughs) i'm not too sure other than i'm nuts (laughs) actually i think it is there though the point is yeah enjoy it you know, yeah. make it a, make it fun. Don't be the killjoy the way the stereotype is of what a seminary professor would be, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never did fit that role too well and that, that image too well. No, I think there's an insult in there. I'm not quite sure okay. what it is. <laughs> I, I'm, sure, I'm sure there is, so you won't be the first to throw it at me. <laughs> um, so, but let's keep, let's, okay, let's switch for a second. So imagine, mm-hmm. so if family's trying to say, how do we do this with our kids? Um, yeah. And one of the things really is telling the story right. I mean, we have the Christmas story and it was one of the historic traditions of families, probably a previous generation. I certainly didn't have it in mind, but where they would sit down on Christmas Eve and they would read through the Christmas story. And it became something that the kids even liked if it was read well. I mean, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're reading a story though. They're, they're not talking about the, um, the incarnation in theological terms, right? They're talking about a baby. Right. Right, right. They're telling the story. You know what's remarkable? You remember Charlie Brown Christmas, and towards the end of it, Linus, you know, one of the characters, tells the Christmas story, 
And it's so powerful. And you can watch kids just get riveted, at, you know, at that. And um, I think it's a, uh, it, first of all, you talk about the power of story. I mean, the scripture is dominantly story. It's, you know, the Old Testament is, is all story. There's very little, you know, straight out preaching. It's, it's all story uh, because there's such power in the story. And, and that's how, how you learn it. Uh, I had a, a friend, actually, was my pastor a long time ago, who was coming to be Christmas time, and he was really upset. And he said to me, "What in the world can I say new? You know, everybody knows this. What what do I say new?" And I said to him, "No, that's the point. You don't say anything new. You tell the story, because preaching is dominantly reminding people of that which they already know, and you remind them of this story because it's a wondrous." Story. All right, let's do this, Barry, for the fun of it. Sure. Let's mm -hmm. tell the story between you and me. Okay. Because uh, I think sometimes when people in their own mind, I mean, it's kind of okay, they just picture a manger, but let's mm -hmm. let's start and, and talk, what, what are the component parts of that story which are just amazing? I mean, that you want to be mm -hmm. a film director, don't you? What, what oh, one yeah. comes to mind for oh, you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I think... Um, Oh boy, there's so many, there's so many. I mean, I, I do start obviously with, with the angel uh, visiting um, um, Mary and uh, telling her, you know, you're blessed above above all women. You're gonna you're gonna bear God's child. You're gonna bear the Savior of the world. You know, and the utter wonderment of this teenage girl who's going say what, you know, um, and then. Uh, and that's Joseph. exactly it, isn't it? I mean, putting that in the context, we have to put it, um, you know, my daughter gave birth when, you know, she was 32 years old. We're talking mm -hmm. about a girl that we're guessing was 14, maybe 15, <clears throat> imagining, yeah. one, imagining yeah. an angel showing up to anybody, you know, people just want right. to say, oh, that's just, you know, couldn't really happen. And it mm -hmm. tells it like, no, 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 this is like really the angel and it blew Mary away. Yeah. It's very dramatic and even on theological terms, we guess even who that particular angel was. We kind of like to play mm -hmm. that game. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that was dramatic. I, I, the thing that immediately comes to mind, I'm just maybe because with Standing Stone, where I work, you know, we're called shepherds because we work with people who work in full-time mm -hmm. ministry. And, mm -hmm. and it seems like God has a love affair with shepherds. Oh, and, man. So here yeah. you got these guys, and we got to remember, shepherds are not the high level of society here. You know, they really are. They were, they were never allowed, for instance, to testify in court because everybody knew they were such liars. Yeah, know? yeah. This is not the class of the culture. Right. And it's right. quiet. And they're mm -hmm. out there with sheep. And mm -hmm. an angel shows up and we're talking, it's told the glory of the Lord shown yeah. around the, I mean, and you just stop yeah. and go, wait a minute, what's that like? I mean, yeah. this is. Oh, yeah. This is way more than a Disney fireworks. This, you know, it's a big deal, right? And, and, and King James, and they were sore afraid, mm -hmm. which means they're so scared it hurt, you know? The old King I mean, James. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it's, a, you know, in some places, it's kind of hard to beat that old King James language. But anyway, you know, they're scared to death. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, these words of grace, Fear not, for unto you is born this day. It's amazing. In the city of David, the Savior. Mm -hmm. How do you take that in? You know, I mean, it's 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 amazing. It really is. 
Now you can't, uh, don't you wonder what happened to those guys? Yeah. I mean, if you experienced that, don't you think you'd say, okay, I'm going to stick around and see what happens to this little baby. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm in for the long haul, Mary. I'm going to move in next door, please. But you know, you didn't even have to be there. The whole story is about Joseph having to go back because of a census being taken in the land in the Roman empire. Mm -hmm. He had to do this. It was a political thing. He didn't have to take his wife. She didn't have to go. Why did he take his wife back with him? I'm assuming because he didn't want her to have that baby without being there to support her. Now, I don't know. It would have been nicer if she didn't have to make that trip, maybe. But also, so the scripture could be fulfilled, you know, that Messiah is born in Bethlehem. Yeah. Yeah. And and then uh, that part of the story where we get into how many things in the Old Testament where this was predicted. Yep. it's like yep. and it's just it's like it's so fun and yep. we get into the wise men we could go on and on and on but yep. um <clears throat> i i we we had an addition to my family a few years ago when my daughter got married and and so now at our family gatherings we have my son-in-law and he's very mm-hmm. much a part of the family the good news mm-hmm. is he really gets along with my um, son and he's just a, a great guy but I, I said to my daughter, I said, well, how's he feel about like family stuff in general? What's his response? Mm-hmm. And he, he even told me directly, it's the sharing side. It's the Thanksgiving. We usually take time to stop and say, okay, you know, really, what are you thankful for? Um, mm-hmm. At Christmas time. No, we're going to stop because it's so easy to get caught up in the food and the presents and the stuff. Yeah. But to really yeah. stop and directly even talk to one another. Um, yeah. not like a family meeting as much as mm-hmm. just kind of catching up. How much of that yeah. family interaction do you think people learn from at Christmas time? Oh, I think it can be, you know, hugely powerful. You know, the first question you call, you asked me, what are your best Christmas memories? And getting parents and grandparents talking about that. And, um, you know, for us, we haven't talked about this, but I will just say that, um, uh, uh, Christmas Eve service at church, you know, was extremely important. Mm. And, and we knew that we um, shut down. I, you know, we, we would have a wonderful uh, tradition. Sandy, uh, my wife, uh, Christmas Eve was hors d'oeuvres. That's all she made was hors d'oeuvres. And we just add ourselves into oblivion, you know, with this stuff. But we all knew that at 11 o'clock when the kids were, you know, old enough, otherwise we'd go to an earlier service. We all knew at 11 o'clock, we would be in church worshiping. And then we had a tradition um, that I think really was fun. And that was fun is a lousy way to put it because it was so meaningful. But we always had a, a, a crash, you know, a, a, a crash in the, the manger, but the Christ child was not there. In the midst of the presence, somebody got a, a wrapped gift. And when they opened it up, it was the Christ child. Wow. And we would stop and the room would go silent. And then we talk about, this is really what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the gift of the child of God. And uh, so we would, you know, unwrap it. And then we would uh, talk about the, the meaning of Christmas and put the child into the manger, you know, and, and pray and then go on, you know, with opening gifts. Right. And, and nobody ever knew who was going to get the Christ child. 
Um, but it, you know, it changed, it changed everything. And my, as my sons-in-laws came into the family, I think they were struck, especially by that too. They were certainly struck by all the nonsense and the war against Santa, but they also, you know, the, I think they, they liked that tradition too. I don't know if it's something about us preacher types, but um, I did one of those dramatic things like you're um, going on the roof with a gun to Santa. Um, one year I said, um, no, we're not going to do a Christmas tree. And the kids were right at that level where they almost got the common sense nature because our life was very, very full at the time. And I was mm -hmm. pastoring a church and Christmas Eve was just, you know, we had multiple services and the place yeah. was packed. And I kind of remember at this time uh, with the shutdown that, you know, it's worth, it's worth praying for those pastors because that was a highlight often of their year too. They'd get to see mm -hmm. people who potentially we're going to be more involved in church or that they only got to see a couple times a year. And, right. and it's really gonna be a letdown, not having that. But anyway, I did the no tree thing and they, they got over their disappointment, but then on Christmas Eve, I used it as an excuse to get the kind of single people and others who didn't have other family around and said, you want to help me? I'm going to stop and get a tree on the way home. And I literally mm -hmm. got a Christmas tree on the way home wow. and um, got, different kind of ornaments as well as some of our own and just had this, the, the kids were at the stage where I could put them to bed and they actually stayed asleep and it became a big party decorating this tree. And they woke up in the morning and just came out and were just, it was worth every bit of the pain it caused the joy. Oh. They were like, we really got a tree. Um, yeah. And so the specialness of it was, um, was very much highlighted. And I think if nothing else, Kids pick up that Christmas is important, even if parents don't yeah. believe the message of Christmas. Uh, yeah. They know it's important, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think they they, they know this is this is special. I will tell you one time. Uh, I can't. I wish I could remember who it was, but somebody complained to me about why the church was trying to make Christmas into a religious holiday, and <laughs> we had an interesting conversation about no, this really is is the heart of it, but, but it's it's can, it can be lost. I think as a Christian family, it's a losing battle to try to fight against culture and say, no, we're not gonna have, you know, Santa Claus or anything like that. I, I, you know, it's all around us, but you can, we can use that really fun time and celebration. But then in the midst of it, it starts in our own hearts, is the reality of the birth of Christ central in me? And then how do I make it central in my family in the midst of all this other stuff? Hey, Perry, we got to close in a minute, okay. but let All me right. just say something personally to you. Holidays okay. make us remember the past sometimes in ways that can be sad, sometimes happy. But for you, um, your wife has died very recently and you got to remember her. What a, what a joy she was to your life for so many years. Um, dying what, one or two days before your what anniversary? 53rd 53rd yeah and um and we can think about those things but we can also think about the fact in you you're newly married you're celebrating christmas as a newlywed this year how yeah. fun is that it is it's just crazy and you know i mean it's such a mixed set of emotions of remembering the mm -hmm. past and then engaging with what's going on now uh, new family new wife and uh, new traditions that we're figuring out now for ourselves. 
yeah, it's 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 a set of emotions that <laughs> are are pretty all over the all over the place. And I'm so grateful because my wife understands, you know, she's not threatened by it, and and uh, we're finding our way together. Well, I so thank you for sharing with us today. Let me just say a word as we close. Um, yeah. I'd like to read a Facebook post from yesterday, December 7th, 2020. It was written by my daughter, Caitlin. Quote, I wish I could go back to this day one year ago. It was the best day of my life. I gave birth to my daughter on my birthday, now hers. It was the best gift anyone could ever give. Happy birthday, Cooper Layla. I love you with all my heart and soul. My world is complete because of you. I too remember that day. I was two and a half hours away in the high desert of Southern California when I got the word that Caitlin was headed to the hospital a few days early. I jumped in the car and spent the time with my heart beating fast, switching between tears, literal tears, of worry for my daughter in labor, and joy that my baby was going to have a baby. And even on her own birthday, a mere 32 years earlier. I'm so glad she remembers the day so fondly, and I do too. The two main stories of Christmas are told by two gospel writers, the disciple Matthew and Luke the physician, indisputably one of the greatest historians of antiquity. Many, many people don't know that Luke's account of this event came with the benefit of numerous chats with Mary, Jesus' mother. So you bet he got the details right, and you could also bet that the others who were there and got to be part of that event, well, they remembered it too. Luke tells us that out in the desert that night were some shepherds, his words, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Fear is not an uncommon response when people, uh, for people when the real God shows up in real time and in real space and gives us a glimpse of his glory. It's not a Disney fireworks display. It's far more majestic and awe-filled and can leave us rather discombobulated. Many run, not liking the fear, feeling exposed and embarrassed. That's unfortunate. Because if you run, you don't hear the words, fear not. Really? I'm faced with a living God who knows every secret, which is avoided in my parents and Santa Claus and my friends, and I'm not supposed to be afraid. Why? The angel tells us why because I bring you good news of a great joy. Wait, you mean you aren't going to smite me dead for my sins? You aren't going to wipe me out? You don't mean me, right? And so the angel said, didn't you hear me? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And last I checked, all might include you. Merry Christmas. For church and this is John Bash. Go and enjoy God today, won't you? Well, that was worth a thought for sure, and brings us to the end of this edition of Church Hurts and. Next week, it's rumored we'll be walking on the edge of controversy. 
stirring the pot of denial and finding movement of the divine. Our host, Dr. John Bash, is a shepherd with Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of leaving the ministry prematurely. Come visit us at churchhurtsand.org. Tell us your story while you're there. Until then, remember, Church Hurts isn't the end of the story. Now go into the end and enjoy God today, won't you?